Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Amen. And uh, as the redeemed, we are able to receive the Word of God to become hearers and doers of the Word of God. And so I invite you to rise in body or in spirit as we hear the Word of God read today. Our scripture comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy Word. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord, we pray that your truth, your goodness, your love, your clarity, your wisdom would be made known to us, Lord. So illuminate this text. Glow the word so that we may become the word for the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish my life was a little bit more like the movies, right? Part of it would be that it always ends with a happy ending um, and that things always work out in and among themselves. But also there are some good things about like movies and television shows that like they indicate that something is about to happen. And one of the primary ways they do that is with music, right? Um, and so we'll watch a variety of, right? Like, so if you know, if you heard this music, like Darth Vader is coming and good things are not about to happen, right? Can you imagine like if this was like in your real life and you heard this music, right? Or maybe some of you, uh, maybe I think we have another one that we can listen to. 
I mean, here you just know, right? Like, right now you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with water. Like, because this is not good, right? Jaws, here it comes, right? Now, I, I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a lake guy. I know some of you are. You've got boats. Those are wonderful. I just know that if I was a lake guy and I had a boat, I would just have that song just like around and playing it with random people on the boat just to see what would happen, right? Uh, you know, I mean, but you hear this sort of ominous music and you just know, okay, something is about to happen. Something bad is about to happen. Um, and, and sometimes it'd be nice that that would just happen in our real life because we'd be walking down the street, we'd be hearing that and we'd be on the lookout, right? Something's going on. Um, now, uh, sometimes um, we, we get the sense that, that something isn't right. And, and I really notice that much, much more with moms. Mom has this like mom sense, right? Um, I'll never forget. I was uh, probably like 17 years old. I was in high school. My sister was in college in Kansas and she was traveling back on her way from Kansas back to our house in Owasso at the time. And all of a sudden my mom just gets like nervous mom face going on. And by nervous mom face, I also mean nervous pacing mom face. And like, I'm like my, and, and you know, I'm just like 17 year old boy, like whatever, she'll be fine. You know, and my mom's like, I just know something bad is about to happen. And, and so, like, um, and of course, mom was right, right? And so my, my sister had had a, a long night. She was coming back, fell asleep in the car, um, and had a little wreck. She was basically fine, except being very, very spooked, and we're just very thankful that, that she was okay. But I was like, at that point in time, I just gave it up to moms. I'm like, okay, you all know you have a sense of something sometimes that is happening. Um, and in fact, there are times in which we have a sense that something is about to happen, that something is threatening us. Right? And we can feel that, that there's this looming sense. Um, and sometimes it's very obvious and other times it's not so much. And we have this idea of anxiety or worry or, or fear or, or stress. And what do we do when something stresses us? Now, stress is not always a, a bad thing. Um, and fear is not always a bad thing because sometimes it can be very helpful. Um, my wife and I have been watching the television show Alone. Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the show uh, Alone, but if you haven't, it's a crazy show. What they do is they, they drop people into like the middle of these wildernesses with cameras and they get like eight or ten supplies and then they say good luck. Now these are people who are trained at survival skills. I mean, if you put me out in the middle of nowhere and said good luck... Um, I'd be calling like an hour later and said, it was beautiful out here, but come and get me, right? Um, now, in that show, um, in the most recent season on, on Netflix, it was like Grizzly Bear Island. Now, when those people would see a grizzly bear, they needed to be afraid. They needed to feel the stress of what would be happening because if they were like, oh, cool, a bear over there, let me go say hi, right? Then, then they would die because the bear would just totally take over. Um, and so fear and stress can be a good thing because it can cause us to act for our own safety. It can cause us to respond to what is going on in our life. So what do we do when something stresses us? Now, as I was thinking about it this week, I thought about kind of a few different ways that stress um, can operate um, and some different models of how stress works in our life. Now, there are times in which stress is a driver. It is the one that is in control, and we're, like, totally cool with it, right? So, um, again, this would be a situation like in Alone, where, okay, all of a sudden I see a bear. I need to get away from the bear or the threat, right? That there's something that's happened, and all of a sudden our stress, our anxiety, our fear has just caused us to just react 
um, and just get away from what is going on. And our stress and our fear is actually the driver. It is determining what we do. But other times, it's not the best thing. Have you ever felt threatened and then said something you didn't mean to say? Have you ever looked back on something and said, why did I do that? Um, and sometimes it's because stress or anxiety or fear drove you to make a decision. Now, other times, um, as I think about another model of, of stress, um, I, I thought of the idea of a driver's ed instructor. Um, do I have anybody who's ever taught driver's ed? Uh, Jerry Morgan was in the first service, and he's like, I taught driver's ed for 20 years. And I thought, boy, I bet you have some stories. Um, and it didn't look like he had any scars, so that would have looked uh, pretty good. Um, but, but as I thought about it as it relates to a stressful situation with a driver's ed instructor, um, because the driver's ed instructor is sitting there, and they're telling people, all right, hey, you need to turn up here, or hey, go ahead and stop. Um, you need to stop. You need to stop, right? Um, that, that stress can be a voice that tells you what needs to happen. And also, as a driver's ed instructor, they have a break that they can use, right, in case of emergencies. Um, and so that's the way that stress can sometimes work, is it can tell you, hey, you need to do this, hey, you need to do this. Sometimes it's a very pestering driver's ed instructor, right? That, that even if you know what's going on, stress has a way of just keep telling you and telling you and telling you and telling you. And sometimes it can even take control of our lives. And so sometimes our stress, our fear, our anxiety acts like a driver's ed instructor telling us all the time constantly what to do. Even if we know that we don't need to be threatened, that instructor can keep going. Now, sometimes stress can work kind of like an indicator light. Um, and so it, uh, it'll come on and it'll be like low tire. Um, and there are some of us um, who are like, oh, low tire, that's not a big deal. Others of us who are like, low tire, I better go right now to get a brand new tire, right? We respond differently to different indicators. Like indicator lights tell us that something is not the way it should be, but it doesn't always mean that the indicator light is right. Um, and that's the same way with stress is that sometimes we get an indicator light and it just means we didn't reset it from the last oil change, right? It's not that we need new oil, it's just that we hadn't reset ourselves. Or maybe it is that we have a low tire that's about to become a flat tire, and if you ignore it like this guy did, that means you have to get a spare tire on the side of the Turner Turnpike, all right, which was always the exact place you want to have happen, right? It's an indication that if you don't do something, something bad could happen. Now, I wish I had another, like, driving thing, but I don't um, analogy, but I have one more way, and it's kind of a weird way, of, of thinking the way that stress works in our life and that these fears work in our lives. And so um, when, my, when my boys were younger, one of the things they enjoyed doing when they went to my mother-in-law's house, their Grams's house, was to play this Toy Story game um, that was there. And so they could be Woody or Buzz or Jesse or whoever they wanted to be, and there was all sorts of stuff that would happen. Now, when they were like seven and five, their younger cousin, Avery, wanted to play. She was like two years old. All right, well, a two-year-old just really doesn't know what's going on with the game, can't really do the controllers, but she wanted to play. So what did they do? They gave her a pink remote that did not work at all. But did she know that? No. She was just thinking she was playing the whole time. And she was happy as a lark to be able to do that. Now, here's the scary thing about fear. Here's the scary thing about anxiety. Is that there are times where we think we are in control. When all the while, fear or anxiety is actually the one driving it. 
We think we are playing the game. We think we're doing such. But in fact, our motivations and our fear and our anxiety is what is actually controlling and what is actually playing us. And so this is a part of our reality is that sometimes our fear and our anxiety is controlling us and we're just pretending and not even realizing it and realizing the effect that these things have on our lives because they are so powerful. Now, one of the things that um, I've realized about myself is just how, how those things have affected me and impacted my life over the years. And so I want to tell you a story about a time I was in the, the fifth grade. Now, some things I've learned about myself is um, I'm an Enneagram 3, um, which means that I'm an achiever. Now, there are some of you who are like Enneagram 3 achiever. Yeah, Aaron, that's absolutely you. And others of you, I might as well have just been speaking Spanish because you have no idea what that meant. Now, an Enneagram is kind of like a personality test. Now, if you're an Enneagram person, you just feel insulted that I called it a personality test because you're like, it's much more than that. I know it is, all right, but I'm trying to help people out and explain it, okay? So an Enneagram 3 is an achiever, which means I like to be successful. I like to achieve things. But it's not just being successful that matters to an achiever. It's also the appearance of success. It's other people recognizing that I am successful. Now, another thing that, that I like to, to be, and I don't know if there's others of you who are out there, is I like to be liked, um, and that that can be important to me as well. All right, so I like to be liked on one hand, and I like to be successful, all right, and to achieve on the other hand. It reminds me of um, one of my favorite philosophers, a guy by the name of Michael Scott, um, who he one time said this, would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Um, right? Um, and so this is, uh, so, so sometimes we find ourselves in this tension. So fifth grade Aaron, I want you to imagine um, fifth grade Aaron. I, and at that time, the, those roots of being achieving and, and being, um, being liked um, and, and people liking me, both these things are very important. My teacher, who I dearly loved, her name was Miss Watson. She gave us an assignment to talk to somebody who was a smoker about their decision to smoke and whether they would continue to, to do that. Now, when I got that assignment, I didn't even realize it, but I was terrified because, um, because I was afraid that if I went to somebody, and this is how I imagined it in my fifth grade brain, all right, how would I like to go to somebody I knew and maybe somebody I cared about and said, hey, why are you slowly killing yourself? That's what it felt like I would be doing. Like here, this terrible thing, of, uh, this terrible habit that you have, tell me about why you continue to do it. That felt awful to me because I wanted to be liked. And so what did I do when, when faced with this fear is I just put it off. And I, I thought about it every once in a while, but I just sort of said, oh, that's over there. Until the day before the assignment was due. And then all of a sudden I was faced with like this like conundrum as a fifth grader. Do I like find somebody and ask them? And I had a couple of people like at the church that we went to who I could have talked to. Um, and do I ask them? Because I have to be successful right? That matters. I need to complete the assignment. I got to be the appearance of knowing and achieving while also afraid of being liked. What do I do? And so at that moment, I couldn't withdraw anymore. I couldn't escape from it. I had to face it. Um, and there was this tension that, that built up and, and this, this fear really kind of did consume me. And so um, I, I talked with my, my parents, could tell something wasn't right. Um, and so I talked with them and we talked with Ms. Watson. Everything worked out okay, but it just served to me as this idea of just the power of, of fear and how it can dominate or control how it can move in our lives. 
Now, we've talked before in here, um, and you're probably aware of some various different responses to fear. And we probably find ourselves prone to one or one of these most of the time, maybe depending on the situation, um, we might respond a little differently. But you've heard about them. Um, There's fight, right? Um, And so one way when we feel threatened that we fight, like, come on, let's do this right now. Um, uh, um, Have you ever seen those like scare videos? Um, Like on America's Funniest Some Videos when somebody gets scared and then they just punch whoever scared them right in the face, just instantly reacted. If you haven't, you should. They're all over YouTube. Um, I'm sure if you want to, to do that. But fight can be an immediate response when people feel threatened. Another way is that we fly, right? We get out of there. Um, And so we feel threatened and like, peace out, I'll see you later. Um, uh, Another thing is that sometimes we we freeze, our anxiety takes over, and we're like a deer in the headlights, right? We just freeze and let the car run us over. Um, And then one other one that I learned about recently that was interesting is this idea of fawning, um, in which we turn our attention back to the threat and, and give it adoration or try to neutralize it by giving it what it wants. I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. But if we are fighting, our primary response is probably anger. Um, And so it shows itself in in being angry. And so we do, um, when we feel threatened, we can be angry, we can be mad, um, and there is this tendency towards some sort of violence that's in there. All right, and so um, again, you may be, that may be kind of be your primary response is when you feel threatened, you're going to turn and you're going to fight. Um, and then there are some of us who, whenever we feel threatened, we do, we fly. We, and, and the word I'm going to use for that is that we withdraw. Now, sometimes it is actual withdrawal. We actually leave the room. We actually leave the situation. Other times we just close ourselves off. We say, if this is how it's going to be in this threatening environment, I'm just going to shut myself off emotionally. I'm going to shut myself down and I am not going to let anybody in. And so we withdraw because of our fear. There are other times in which we freeze. I think anxiety is a part of that, um, in which we don't know what to do. And so we just kind of stay in the same place. There's this anxiety and it can just eat at us and eat at us and eat at us. And we just stay stuck in the midst of that. Um, and then when we fawn, and they often find that fawning will happen with people who are abused or as children. Um, and so one of the things, they, they might have had an initial response of fight, but that didn't work. They couldn't escape, um, and they realized that freeze didn't do them any good. And so they thought, if I can just give the abuser what they want, if I can just please this person enough, then I won't have to be threatened anymore. And we find that that can, um, as adults, that can become a go-to. So that when we feel threatened, we try to give somebody what they want, or we become codependent on somebody to try to always please somebody and always satisfy somebody and we need somebody so that we don't feel that threat again. Now, if we look at um, our scripture today, um, I think that the, the writer of 1 John, whose name is John, um, probably fit one of these categories um, in his early life. And so um, in Mark chapter 3, verse 17, we get this Um, introduction into John. He was one of Jesus' disciples, and this is what it says about, um, in the Gospel of Mark, about John. It says, Jesus called James and John the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. How cool would it be to be nicknamed by Jesus, right? The sons, and then to have like a cool nickname, right? Like he may have given other nicknames, but like sons of thunder, that sounds powerful, 
it also sounds like somebody who's fairly aggressive, right? Like you don't get the sons of thunder if you're kind of a laid back guy, like, oh, things don't bother me. No, you get the nickname sons of thunder, most likely because when something happens, you would erupt on it. And maybe like a thunderstorm, you would appear out of nowhere and all of a sudden you would feel this energy and this emotion, this seriousness. And so this image that we get of John is somebody who has this like thunderous aspect behind him. After I preached the service, the sermon in, in the first series, in the first uh, service, my, my dad came up to me and he said, do you know what we used to call his mom, my nanny, um, what, the, what one of my brothers nicknamed her? Uh, fireball. You can imagine fireball, right? You can imagine sons of thunder. Now, um, in the Gospel of Luke, in another story about these sons of thunder, we get a little hint of why Jesus probably nicknamed them that. And it says that Jesus sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That is a son of thunder right there. Lord, these people don't like you. Destroy them, right? Like, yeah, let's do that. And there are some of us who are like, yeah, that's me too, right? How dare they? Do you me take them? Right? This, this sort of this son of thunder. Now Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now what's interesting to me, as I think about the sons of thunder, and I think about this intensity, what should we do with these terrible people? Destroy them. All of a sudden, it's the same person who cannot go a sentence in the letter of 1 John without talking about love. I mean, isn't that interesting that here on one hand you have the sons of thunder and then you have like this guy who all he does is talk about love, right? So even in the scripture we read, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Five times just in that verse alone. Or later, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So can you imagine the transformation? Like if you would have known pre-Jesus, John, and, and then like, you know, like 30 years later, you would have read this letter. You would have been like, is this the same guy? right? Do you all have those people in high school who you don't even recognize anymore, right? You're like, whoa, who are you, right? Now, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so, so good, right? Right, there's this transformation that took place, and that's really what happened to, to John, is that, is that he had this incredible transformation that took place. So, Jesus gave him this nickname, and his brother, James and John, the sons of thunder, but John gave himself his own nickname. I don't know if that's allowed, but that's what he did, right? I think nicknames really should be given to you from other people. But here, John gave himself another nickname when he wrote the Gospel of John. And he talked about his relationship with Jesus six times. Let me share a few of those with you where he shares the name that he refers to himself. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table, it says in John 13. 
In John 19, when, John, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. In John 21, we hear these words, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Of all the things, he didn't call himself John. He, he said he named himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, there's a little bit of part of me that thinks that there was this rivalry between Peter and John, and he was just kind of doing it to stick it to Peter a little bit like a son of thunder will. But I really think that he had experienced this incredible transformation of his life, that walking with Jesus and experiencing the grace, the love, the goodness of Jesus, instead of thinking of himself as a son of thunder, the only way he could think about himself is the one whom Jesus loved. And I wonder what it would do to each and every one of us if we could actually believe that our name was not just our name, but that we are the one whom Jesus loves. Because love has overwhelmed him. And that love has made a difference. And that love can overcome fear. Now, oftentimes, we, when we, uh, we, we've talked about over the years, uh, sometimes we hear about the saying like that, that, you know, faith over fear. And oftentimes, we, we mean that well. Um, but, but I really don't think these two things are opposite. And I think about that for a, a, a wide variety of reasons. I love, uh, um, because I think we, we can have faith even in the midst of, of fear and that these two things are different. Um, one, of my, one of my friends, uh, his name's Bill, and, and Bill said, I have faith that Jesus will take care of me, but I still wear oven mitts, Right? I have faith that Jesus will take care of me, but I still look both ways before I cross the road, right? That those things are not, all, are not the things that are competing. Instead, the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of fear is love. In fact, faith needs fear to operate. Because if it was certainty, if there was no risk, if there was no vulnerability, it wouldn't be faith. Part of faith is stepping out into the unknown, and in order to have something unknown, there's a threat of the unknown that needs to exist. Instead, we need to dwell in this world and this reality of love. And in this text, John writes, perfect love expels all fear, casts out all fear, gets rid of all fear, says sayonara to all fear, expunges all fear. Fear. This is the good news of God, is that we do not have to be controlled by fear any longer, but that God's love can get rid of, expel the fear that exists inside each and every one of us. John picks up on a, a, a description in Zephaniah where it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love, he will calm all your fears. He will take you from a son of thunder to the one whom Jesus loves. And the primary way that you and I need to understand who God is, is that God is love. Love is not something that God does. Love is, is not something that he thinks about. Love is not one of the things that sometimes happens with God. No, the very essence of his character and his identity and everything he brings to the table is love. Now, I know that sometimes that's not always the image that we get of God. Sometimes we think of, um, and some people think of God the judge or that God is harsh, God is condemning. 
And God does value holiness, and that's a whole other sermon. But, but often we miss the primary identity that God is love. And that he loves you with an overwhelming love. Now, I've sat in church long enough to know that there are some of you who are sitting out there who you want to believe that God is love, but life hasn't always handed you love. And your image of a father or your image of God is more of that judge or that condemner, or maybe you've heard it again and again. That you're not worthy of love. I know this in a strange way. So probably about eight, ten years ago, um, I got, uh, I told, I, and I always tell funeral homes in every community I'm in, hey, if somebody needs a pastor, particularly a Methodist pastor, just give me a call. Um, and I pray they don't call me, um, but I mean it, actually, because um, the opportunity to do a funeral is such an, uh, such an honor for me as a pastor. To walk with people in the midst of grief, what an opportunity it is just to be there and to be the presence of God. And so um, when I was in Tulsa, I got a call from this funeral home, and uh, this woman, who they think she was Methodist at some point in time, um, had passed away. And so they said, well, let's just call the Methodist church in town. We were first United Methodist Church, and so I got the phone call. And so I went and I did this, uh, this woman's service. I met with the family. Um, she had a couple of daughters who were in their 20s. They had some kids. Um, it was a really, really weird funeral. I ended up carrying the casket for part of the way. I've never done that before. That's a whole other story. Um, but um, what, what, what was weird was what would happen afterwards because um, probably a couple months after this, one of the daughters sends me a message on Facebook and she says, um, people are saying that the world is ending. Is that true? Now, this was all fear. Like she was just terrified. And, and I gave her an answer. I said, no, as far as I know, that this astrological sign is not the end of the world um, and that everything will be okay. And then a few months later, she sent me a, another message. Um, you know, uh, does this mean the world's going to end? No. Um, then we had the eclipse. Y'all remember that from a few years back? Woo, boy. She's terrified. I was like, nope, the eclipse, not the end of the world as far as I understand. And then I began to say, because the, the, I don't really know what the end of the world is going to look like, but here's a few things I know. One is, I don't think it's going to be America-centric. There's billions of people in this world. And so every election that would come up, she'd be like, is this a sign, no matter who won or what was going on? Is this a sign that the world's going to end? I don't think so. Um, there's, again... And then we're at these astrological signs. She never cared about the eclipses that were happening in Australia. It was in America, right? Like, no, this is not the sign of the end of the world. I don't know what the end of the world is like. But I know who's in charge of the end of the world. And that's God. And God is good, holy, loving, just, and merciful. And so I don't, I'm not afraid of the end because I know who writes the ending. And I tried to express that um, uh, to her um, but I think that that's one of the most common fears, and it's something that, that John tries to address in here. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because we can face him with confidence. And so maybe there's some of you who are living in that fear, and don't be, because God is love. That's who he is. And John knows this because he has been on an incredible journey from a slave to fear to a vessel of love. From a son of thunder to the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the journey that he has gone on because love has overwhelmed him. He has experienced a transformation from this to that because of Jesus' incredible love. 
And in this world, we are going to be bombarded and we are going to feel and we're going to be overwhelmed with opportunities to be afraid. And you and I are being played time and time again by advertisers who are trying to scare you into something. You and I are being terrified by politicians who are trying to poke those fears so that you will vote for them or at least not vote for the other guy. You and I, we even sometimes use fear to motivate each other, right? Because I know that the key thing to getting things done in the Tiger household is to strike a little fear in my children's hearts, which says, if you don't feed the dog, you won't play video games, right? We use fear all the time, and it's being used on us. And here's what Jesus says, and this is who Jesus is. And this is what I want to be true, and it's not quite there yet for me, but I want it to be true for you, and I want it to be true for me. If all you have is Jesus, you have all you need. If all you have is Jesus, and everything else was taken away, you would have everything you need and more because his love is enough. He is with you and he will walk with you no matter what the storms of life may be, no matter what you may be afraid of, the things you can say and the things you can only feel. If all you have is Jesus, you have all you need. And I know that to be true and I'm glad we get to come and worship because we get to remind ourselves of it. But sometimes I wish my life was a little bit more like the movies, right? And that sometimes in the movies, in those dark moments, all of a sudden some light Or something would come and we would be able to experience it. And that there would be a different kind of music that would be played, right? This is the Avenger, like, victory is mine song, right? This is like the moment of like love and light and goodness has entered in. Um, Now, some of you may not be as familiar with that one. Maybe you'll be familiar with this one. Superman has come. Wouldn't it be cool, like, in your darkest moment that all of a sudden, like, like, Jesus song, the Superman song, something would just come and intervene, right? And that light has entered in because if all you have is Jesus, you have all you need. And so this is what John is trying to tell us, is that it's all about love and that Jesus is love. Now, one of the ways I understand about love is because if we want to know what love is, we have to look at Jesus. And Jesus took this journey from heaven to earth to walk with us towards a common goal. And so that's how I understand love is that for us, that love is meeting people where they are and walking together towards Jesus. That's what we do is we meet people where they are, not where we'd like them to be, because nobody is where we want them to be, right? And that we walk together on this pathway towards Jesus. And we experience that goodness. What is love? Love is Jesus. He gives us the example. And so if we want to know how to love somebody, we just have to look at Jesus. It's sacrificial. It's messy. It's not always easy. But it's always wonderful. Now, part of what happens is, is that in this text, he talks about that it's not just enough to receive God's love, but we're called to share God's love. And again and again in, in this first John, he talks about, you know, that we, we need to be receivers, but we also need to love 
one another. If it was easy to love one another, he, would have, he wouldn't have had to repeat it again and again and again. But here he is repeating it again and again. If you, mu- you must love your fellow believers, your fellow brothers and sisters. And so one of the things that tells me is that we're so love-starved, we're tempted to keep it all for ourselves. Because we are so easily living in this world of fear and anxiety and stress and threat, we're so love-starved that it's easy for us to want to just soak it all up and receive it ourselves. But that ends up killing us. Now that sounds weird, that if we just receive the love of God, that'll end up killing us. But one of the interesting things, uh, when, when we went to Israel um, in, in May, one of our, our stops was at the Dead Sea. Now, um, if you, the, the Dead Sea is really, really weird um, because if you, you cannot drown in the, the Dead Sea. You can't sink. All right, there's such a rich mineral content and salt and all of these other things that you immediately sort of float and you look really weird as you do it, like you're just sitting and reclining um, while you are laying there. Now, the reason that the dead, and, and they call it the Dead Sea because there are no animals, no fish that live in the Dead Sea. So if you've ever wanted to go to a place and not worry if something's going to swim up on your leg, that's the way you would go. But your legs automatically pop up, so it doesn't work that way either. But The reason they can't is because that mineral content is so high. Because the Dead Sea only receives water from other sources, including the Sea of Galilee. It doesn't give anything. It's where water goes to stop and die and stagnate. And that can happen to us in the church, too. Because we're so love-starved. Because we're so afraid. Because we're so hurting. We want to receive and soak up everything that love has to offer, but that's not the way that love works. Love both receives and gives. It needs that natural flow to pass on. And that's one of the things I love about Vacation Bible School and other things that we have an opportunity to participate in. is because it's not just about us sitting and receiving it. It's real easy to come every Sunday because we need it so bad to receive the love of God. But the way that it works is to share. The way that it works is to give it away. The way that it works is to go into the dark places, into the messy people, and to love them as they are, and to share in his life and his goodness. And so today, maybe there are some of you who are kind of slaves to fear today. And maybe you're at a place where you're, 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 you were like a son of thunder, right? Maybe, maybe fear and, and anger defines you. It no longer has to define you. You can be transformed. Maybe, maybe you shut yourself off emotionally and you stopped receiving or giving love because of the pain that you felt. Maybe there's a new day for you too. Maybe anxiety controls you and nobody else knows it or maybe everybody else knows it but you, right? But you can find peace. Maybe you've been abused and, and maybe you're trying to overcompensate and you fawn and all these sort of things happen and, and you've realized that you're codependent but you're not codependent on God, you're codependent on somebody else. And there's freedom in the midst of that. And so you can take this journey from a slave of fear to a child of God. And maybe some of us, we're just so love-starved. We just want to soak it all in, but that's not how it works either. And God's calling us to step out into the world and to share his love and his light. And the good thing is, is there is an unending reservoir of God's love for all of us. So when we give it to somebody else, we can still receive more when we put ourselves in position to receive the amazing love of God.
Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.